This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Uh, In the few minutes we have, I I wanted to share, uh, as we move into this last week about Romans 12, next week we're going to start talking about 1 Corinthians 12, so that's going to be fun, isn't it? But Romans 12, I didn't want to leave this chapter, these seven gifts of Romans 12, these seven life gifts, without sharing the way that what God means for good, right, the enemy will use for harm, right? When you, the other way around is what we normally hear, right? Which is what, uh, what the enemy is meant for harm, God will use for good, but Satan, who is not creative, he just uses the opposite trick and says, hey, what God meant for Good, I will pervert to use for harm. I I experienced that a little bit here in our church family in the past few years. Um, It's been, I guess, a couple of years now when I started experiencing what I later learned were panic attacks. Has anybody had one of those before? Boy, they're a scene, aren't they? They're just hilarious. Um, because it's like, I don't know what that is. Like, I feel like there's a Bigfoot chasing me, but I, clearly there's not. But this would seem to be the reaction that I would have if that were happening. I didn't know what was happening, what was causing it. And it was happening on Sundays. Yeah, that was you're right, Charles. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> there was one Sunday where we were in here, and I was, it was happening second service. And I remember thinking, okay, I have a couple of options. One, hand the microphone to Mo and wish him luck (laughs) and skedaddle out the side. Because by the way, if you've ever been in the middle of one of those, the idea of, well, just calm down. Well, duh, I didn't think of that. Okay. (laughs) Problem solved. We're done here. But that day actually was uh, something, it was like the, it was actually what you and I were talking about, Patrick. Like what was on the other side of the scariest thing of my life was this freedom. And the scariest thing I could think to imagine on that day was telling everybody in this room that I was having that. And, and I did. And it turned out to be this glorious moment, the scariest possible thing that I could have imagined doing turned out to be the best thing that I could have ever done. Because it, you know how that is. When you do that, what you think is going to happen is they're going to see you as a fraud. They're going to see you as whatever weak, and then they're going to leave you. But that's not what happened, Right? And what I learned in that journey was this. Those moments started not on that Sunday. They started months and years earlier. See, we're going to read here in a minute, Romans 12, about offering your body as a living sacrifice. But that was not what I was doing uh, to, to God. I was offering my body as a living sacrifice to you. To put it differently, in those days, uh, one of the people that were part of our church family was a guy named Dr. Michael Easley. Do you all know Doc Easley? Okay. He's not dumb. <laughs> if I say, well, in the Hebrew it says this, I better be right because he actually knows. Do you know what I mean? Like he knows Hebrew in the way that he could actually like buy something at a grocery store in Jerusalem and speak Hebrew to them. Okay. That kind of Hebrew. By the way, side hustle, if you're trying to get a Hebrew tattoo and you want to make sure it says what you think it says, 
I think it's 50 bucks. Just Venmo him and he'll make sure that you don't embarrass yourself. We got Michael Easley sitting in here. John Bassanio, okay, the pastor of First Baptist Houston, 25,000 members. Like, he could have burped the size of our church. Like, we were a nothing burger to what he, that guy every Sunday, 25,000 people. And he's sitting over here, and Easley's over here, and then just scattered throughout the whole church are people that are, I could literally actually on paper show you were smarter than me. Right? Not in an insecure, aw shucks kind of way. I could whiteboard it out for you. And in that season, I began to work on sermons so that I could impress them as opposed to impact you. And I was not offering this body as a living sacrifice to him, I was offering it as a living sacrifice to them. By the way, not a single one of them said anything that would have ever alluded to anything that would have made me want to feel that way. That was all on me, not on them. But as I began to offer my body in that way, and when I say offering my body, what I mean is I was studying all day. I mean, in those days, you know, I'm like jetting around the world. I'm on a plane. I'm trying to write a sermon. I'm trying to just not look like an idiot on Sunday. My body, late nights, early morning, studying, prepping, stressing. And before long, what happens in that world is that your body, isn't it interesting he uses the word body, by the way. Your body begins to react to that. So when you have had that panic attack, that moment, that is actually a physiological thing happening in your body. Your heart rate is actually beating faster. Your hands are sweating. You do feel the feeling as if, like if you've ever been in a car accident, that feeling as the car accident is happening, almost like a suspended animation. You feel those feelings, even though there is no Bigfoot chasing you. There is no car accident happening. But your body is Literally, the adrenaline that I was using to try to write these sermons, suddenly, eventually, my body couldn't do it anymore, and that was what was happening. I was offering my body as a living sacrifice to impress as opposed to offering my body as a sacrifice to Jesus to impact. And these past few months and years, when I've came to that awareness and offered that back to him, I haven't had a panic attack since. it wasn't a white-knuckle it out. It wasn't even, and by the way, there are techniques, the breathing techniques, meditation. I totally get all that. That's not what ended up doing it for me. What ended up doing it for me was finally coming to the conclusion, the realization that this gift that God gave me was the gift that he gave me to deliver to you, but I have to start by offering myself to him. And if I try to treat these personality profiles, all of them, right, whether it's Enneagram, DISC, Myers-Briggs, they're great. And what they do is tell you, I have a lot of work to do. I, I got to fix this. I got to do that. And so you end up failing because I'm starting with trying to fix this thing that I am. And these seven gifts of Romans 12 are not a, something that, like an effort that you do. They are a result of work that you have done that results in this. With that in mind, I want to read to you Romans 12, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8. 
Therefore, and if you have read these before, oh man, if you've been around the church, you've probably read this a hundred times. Do yourself a favor. Try your hardest to read this as if it's the first time you've ever read it. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And verse 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And what are those members? They are now in verse 6, 7, and 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Now, my proclivity would be to start right though in those verses and say, okay, if you're going to be the mercy one, then you better do it cheerfully. And if you're going to be the prophecy guy, then do it faithful, all that. But that's not how it's written here. It's written that if I start with verses 1, 2, and 3, then the commands of verses 6, 7, and 8 are just a natural part of what is being transformed in me. These are a result of work that is done. They are not an effort that we put forward. It starts out with true worship. I mean, if the idea, first of all, is that I'm going to take this gift of mine and offer it out to you, then I'm already in the wrong place because my act of worship has not been for him, but for you. And it says in verse 1 that the true act of worship isn't just singing. We sang. That was worshipful. We sang worship songs. But he says the true act of worship is offering my body as a living sacrifice to him. Not a dead one, because he was crucified for us that I might live. This is a living sacrifice. And the gift of this in me is that if I'm offering my body, number one, to try to just impress you on a Sunday, eventually my body begins to shut down on that because the body begins to feel the anxiety, the pressure, and the weight. It's like I'm up here. Uh, do they, remember the, the hat dance where they're just shooting at your feet and you're just up here? Do they still do that, like the dance, and you're shooting at the feet? You know what I'm talking about? Is that just Western movies? <laughs> I could put myself in a position where every week I'm up here while you're shooting at my feet and I'm just dancing to try to make and impress you. Nobody in this church family has ever once communicated that that's what they want from me. But in a a part of my life that was not transformed, but conformed to the pattern of this world, that made me want to do that for you. Because 
It's not about health or unhealth. It's about conformed or transformed. Conformed to the pattern of this world, right? The pattern of this world would say, the only reason why a guy, uh, Mike Easley or Donna Van Leer or whatever Bible teacher is in here, the only reason they're here is if I can say something smart enough to make them want to come back next week, that's the pattern of this world. But transformed by the renewing of my mind, like transformed then tells me that I'm coming here to, to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit flowing through me, and so that my gift is not for you, but for him, and there is no pressure in that. No pressure, because I'm not here to try to even earn his love. We'll talk about it in a minute, but Romans 1 through 11 tell us that this was never about me even trying to earn his love. It's that he loves me so much that I get to just give this gift out. Loves me so much that he would trust me to give this gift out. And yet what the enemy, right, sees God, wants to use this for good, the enemy wants to use to pervert in my life and to take the body that I want to offer and to rack it down with anxiety and with fear and with depression. And as I think that through, like the true worship of offering my body to him, in in our world this week, how many tweets did you see when you're doom-scrolling you know what about doom scrolling? You know what I'm talking about? Where somebody says out loud, this is a huge problem and I can't believe that you don't care about this and if you don't care about this, then you are a horrible person or some variation of that. It's out there. Now, look, there are terrible things in this world that I want you to care about. Okay, but here's the problem. Here's what the internet has done to us. There are so many of them and we are aware of all of them. And if I offer my body to each one of them, I'm literally going to drown in depression and fear and anxiety. So the the question isn't, should you be concerned and should I offer my body? Yes, offer it to the Lord and then allow the Lord to download what passion he has for you, and then you aim all of your energy at that. Much of what I think is happening right now in our world is you're hearing these things that are everywhere, and you're getting wound up and passionate about and angry for something you have literally no control over. You have no influence on it at all, and so You get mad about it, you get frustrated about it, but since you can't do anything about it, it leaves you depressed and and you feel unworthy. But here's what I know. Somewhere inside of you, God has put something in you, maybe a couple of somethings, maybe two or three somethings, that you are passionate about. Okay, For me, Haiti has been one of those things. My brothers and sisters in Haiti... 2005, I've been there 15 years and counting. I love them. They're my friends. And if I stand in here every Sunday and shame you for not having the same passion that I have, all I'm going to do is pour a guilt on you and possibly steal you away from a passion that God put in you that you were supposed to do something about. If everybody in this room, everybody, all 900 people that call Conduit Church their home church were just passionate about Haiti and nothing else but Haiti, what, who would take care of the child sex trafficking in Southeast Asia? Who would care uh, for the orphans and the widows in our own 
country, JT. Who would care for the addicts in Middle Tennessee, right? Who would care for the schools that we're building in Southeast Asia? No, if I offer my body to him, and by the way, it goes on and says, and then you will know his will for your life. I think that's part of the secret. I've offered my life to him. And now, what passion has he risen up inside of me? Aim it at that and reject anything else as shame and guilt and shame and guilt as nothing the Father would ever use that tool on you. I pray that you all have that passion. And if you don't have it, that you find it. What is it that makes you angry? What is it that makes you sad? Start there. And maybe stop doom scrolling. And maybe if it's you that's doing the, I can't believe you don't care about this. You all are a bunch of jerks because you don't care about this very specific passionate thing that I'm passionate about. Back off. We say it around here, but it's true that what I'm looking for, when we're even talking about donations, and I'm not looking for someone to change their heart for clean water in Africa. If someone has a heart for clean water in Africa, this isn't about me trying to change somebody's heart. This is me looking for the heart. It's a treasure hunt. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a treasure hunt. Offer your body to him. And then on the other side of that, as your mind is being renewed, which is what this goes on to say, right? That says that you're going to be uh, not conformed to the pattern of this world. You're going to be renewed. Uh, renewing of your mind is going to transform you, and it's going to change the way that you're thinking about things. And a renewed mind, a renewed mind, doesn't get just pulled about by every wind of doctrine. I mean, just think about this month, the culture of umbrage that we live in. Every day, there's something new to be angry about. Every day, there's about 50 things to be angry about. And the Bible, I believe, wouldn't... First of all, we can't handle that. Our human nature was never meant to do that. So allowing your, your body to be offered to him means I don't have to get distracted by all these things. I can actually just dig into what Jesus has for me, allow that passion to renew my mind, right? Transform me, and then I will know what God's will is his good, perfect, and pleasing will. We make this really hard, but it's just not. And we're making it hard because the pattern of this world says that anything that someone who has a microphone is angry about is something I have to be angry about. And I promise, I've traveled this world. I have seen horrible things in places that I can't even begin to recount all in one sitting. And it would overwhelm me and it would drown me if I didn't trust that the Father loves me so much to allow me to be pointed to the very specific things that he has us to care for. And one of them is our church right here. The third thing is this. This is, by the way, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. Because after your mind is renewed, right, your life is transformed, you have this ability now to do truthful thinking. And by the way, in a world of lies, in a world of half-truths, do you know what the greatest act of revolution is? Truth. Truthful thinking. To live not by lies, in the words of Rob Dreher in his new book. And if you have not read that, I'm sure it's, it's January. Some of y'all got stacks and stacks of books. You'll thank me. Put this one on top. Live not by lies by Rob Dreher. Truthful thinking. And you know where it starts? Truthful thinking out in the world starts with truthful thinking about ourselves. 
That's what he says here. That it's by the grace given me, every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Isn't that a fascinating word, Connor? Sober judgment. We're not technically Baptists, so I know some of you all know what it means to not think in sober judgments. I'm, I'm not naming names, of course, but I know that some of you might know. How many of y'all have been in a bar fight before? Bill Lurick, of course. Patrick, you too? Oh, yeah, the Amish thing. Was it Rumspringer? <laughs> oh, okay. Justin, you've not been in a bar fight? Huh. More, not because of the bar, more just because I feel like he'd, he'd win. <laughs> Here's the thing about a bar fight. Here's the problem with a bar fight. If you're not sober, you make very bad decisions about who you think you can take. I speak with a little bit of experience. I mean, I grew up in Nebraska, Kansas. I mean, we didn't really have anything else to do. But I made a... It's been a while. Let's clarify. This wasn't like two weeks ago. No. Shannon's like, please tell them. It was like 30 years ago. But I was not, I did not have sober judgment, if that makes sense. And so the two guys that were picking a fight, I thought, I can take them. I wasn't even hesitant. I thought, I was defending my girlfriend's honor. Like, I was like, the last thing I remember was being <laughs> kicked in the head. Um, that, that karate kid crap, that, that that's actually doesn't work. But I, the sober version of Darren would have never thrown that punch. Um, which, by the way, hit him on the shoulder and turns out doesn't do anything. <laughs> like, it was like a moment where he's like... When you are not thinking the truth about yourself, you're going to get your butt kicked. The Bible here is just saying, think the truth about yourself. And the truth about Darren, the truth about Charles, right? The truth about James is different for each of us, but it's the truth that God has given in each of us. So the truth about Darren, right, is I didn't go to seminary. I couldn't literally, I, I would have rather have clawed my own eyes out than to sit in an MDiv program anywhere. Due respect to all of you who have done that. I just didn't want to. But sitting in here, believing the truth about myself was that I followed the path that God wanted me to be on. And to believe the truth about myself is that God put me here for this specific purpose, for this specific reason. And he put you here and you here. And so the truth is to say that I don't have to try to live up to something. I can literally live in the reality of who God has created me to be with confidence and not insecurity, not because of my skills, but because of his love for me. You see, my temptation over the years has been to try to build my confidence in me based upon what I can and can't do and not upon the love that Christ has had for me because that love of a heavenly father, of a son that would die, that's the kind of thing that can build confidence in you. Whether or not I can answer these 
questions or that's kind of fun, not like at a party maybe, but that doesn't that doesn't build confidence in you. The gospel gives us this super unique confidence that I don't think any other worldview philosophy can give us. It tells us that I was so desperately in need, so toxic and so sick in sin that nothing short of the death of the Son of God could have saved me. And yet I am so loved, so pursued that Jesus did it gladly. For God so loved Darren that he gave his only begotten son. That's the gospel. You see, we started this in Romans 12 verse 1, and it starts with the word therefore. Now I know I'm in a room full of theologians even at the 1130. And in a room full of theologians, you know this, that when you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's important to look at the verses immediately before to know what they are there for. And when you go to the verses right before in Romans, right before, so Romans 12.1, therefore, where do you start? Do you start in chapter 11? Do you start in chapter 10? I would challenge that you start in chapter 1. The chapter 1 through 11 is the entire gospel, the entire story, arc of God and his love for mankind. Chapter 1 starts with, man, you guys, you humans, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but without me, you are going down. You're making terrible decisions. You're hurting each other. You're killing each other. Without me, rejecting me, the, the, the God of the universe, the result is terrible things are going to happen in this earth. And then, for those of us who came to Jesus, we think, well, that's awesome, so we're here now. Now I can really get super judgmental of everybody from chapter 1, but chapter 2 says, mm, hold on. You who are in Christ, you don't look back on them and judge them. You are saved in the same way that he wants to save you. The gospel doesn't allow me to be judgmental in that way. And then you move into chapter 3 and realize that it's not because of my work anyway, right? It's his righteousness that's going to save me. And you move into chapter 5, that uh, by one man sin entered the world, by another man Jesus, that sin would be saved and we could or we'd be taken care of and we would be saved. You move into chapter 6 and you, you get to this, man, you're dead to sin because of what Jesus did. I'm now dead to sin. And chapter 7 reminds me that, oh, and also, uh, you're going to keep struggling with it. Ch chapter 7 reminds me of the, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Paul was 40, 35 years into his ministry at this point. In chapter 7, why do I do the things I don't want to do? What I don't want to do, I do. And then I do this and I didn't want to. And he ends that chapter with, who is going to save me from this body of sin, this cry for help? And then chapter 8, verse 1, but hey, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Your struggle with sin is real and your salvation is complete. Not one drop of blood on that cross was wasted. You move into chapter 9, the righteousness by faith. And then in chapter 10, we know that if you uh, confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that he is 
uh, rest from the dead, that you'll be saved. And then chapter 11 is awesome because in, if you're Paul, who's a Jewish man, he's wondering about his Jewish friends. Paul says something here that's just utterly fascinating. I haven't forgotten the Jewish people. All of Israel will be saved. And out of that, this whole thing, I have been so messed up, but now I'm so saved. I was so broken, but I am so loved. And in the end, I'm just going to read these verses here. The end of chapter 11, these last few verses. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. How did he possibly do all of this? How did he bring this love, this beautiful love story of Jesus? How? How can we even? It's beyond us. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Sidebar, I have. I have been his counselor. I've had lots of good ideas for him to tell him how to do that. But who has been his counselor is a rhetorical question because none of us are his counselor. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him, in him, through him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. It's literally the only reasonable thing you could do. And what I love the most about this whole thing is that when I offer my body to him, he knows how I'm designed. So it's not like some giant buzzkill. It's not like some giant burden that I'm like, oh, no, I've offered it to him, the designer, who knows exactly how I'm supposed to operate. And when I'm operating the way that I'm supposed to operate, amazing things happen. As a younger man, I would take air conditioner parts from my father's junk pile. It's a whole other sermon, probably some therapy for that. But this junk pile... And an air conditioning motor, when it's in the right place doing what it's designed to do, brings air conditioning to buildings. I had a bathtub in the backyard that was full of fish that I caught from the river that I wanted to keep for bait, and I had to keep them the oxygen flowing. And so I thought, you know what this motor could be used for? Is you put the little the paddle in the water, hook it across the top, and it'll create water motion. It'll create oxygen in the bathtub. It was brilliant. Nothing could possibly go wrong with this. Until it did. <laughs> I, I mean, I was crushing it, man. My minnows were happy. The turtles were great. And I was adjusting something in it, and I knocked the motor off into the bathtub. My hand is in the water, and it lit me up. You wonder why my hair is the problem that it is? You know what I'm saying? It's not just because I've lost the narrative on my hair, I have, but it's that this is 30 years of electrical, <laughs> killed all the turtles, killed, killed the fish. I know, it was a bad day. But you throw that motor back into the air conditioner and it did amazing things. Look, you can throw your gift into the wrong place and let it be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind or when you conform it to the pattern of this world and you're going to burn your life down. 
because you're not doing it the way, you're not standing into it the way that God has created you to do. And don't you think that the God of the universe, if he created you, Kelly, the way he created you, he probably knows what he's doing. And that when you stand in that design, which she does, by the way, if you want to see somebody who stands and operates in a gift, man, Kelly Savage, that the world around you is blessed, that you are fulfilled, and that the body operates the way that it's supposed to. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom into these gifts? These seven, let them, Lord, show us where we are conforming to the pattern of this world. Show it to us. Let our spouses speak into us supernaturally, the way you did with me, Lord. Maybe if you have to humiliate us to figure it out. Whatever it takes, Lord, we want to figure out where we're conforming to the pattern of this world so that we can stand on the other side of the scariest thing in front of us which is where you are, Father, and this freedom that you've given for us, that you paid so much for us. That's the promise of these gifts. Your gifts, Lord, are our greatest blessing, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I will see you next week.